Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. It is my pleasure to welcome Bob Levy, constitutional attorney, chairman of the board of the Cato Institute, and noted author, back again. And we welcome you back, Bob Levy, to Freedom Forum Radio. Well, Bob, you've raised in your opening statement here, you've raised some really interesting and and really important questions that we need to address. Um, First of all, I mean, I know uh, that you are a textualist, that you believe in the actual written words of the Constitution uh, that define its meaning. Um, And you know that the Bill of Rights enumerates the natural law rights of individuals and government is required to protect and secure those rights. And so what troubles me, what troubles me about all of these things uh, is that there's two things that trouble me. Number one is that these restrictions and, and the takings of property, the takings of liberty, you know, that the Fifth Amendment, the, the taking of, of life, liberty, and property without due process of law, that strikes me as being a pretty important phrase for, for you and me and every other individual. I mean, I don't want to be imprisoned on the whim of some government official. Uh, I don't want people locking me in my home and threatening me with shackles and, and, and arrest in jail for leaving my front door. Uh, the problem is, is when you give government temporary powers or powers you think are temporary, you obviously have seen a gross uh, usurpation of power. But look at what the governors are doing. Look at the Michigan, for instance, New York, even our own state of North Carolina. I mean, these are people who are power-hungry, They have a lust for power that knows no bounds, and we've kind of given them an open door to do so. I agree entirely uh, with everything you said, Um, but I think it needs to be uh, considered um, juxtaposed against the opposite situation. Namely, we do have a Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is unequivocal in suggesting that these rights can't be violated. For example, the First Amendment says that no law, Congress shall make no law infringing on free speech. Now, does that really mean that Congress shall make no law? It does not. What it means is that Congress makes lots of laws. Uh, You can't falsely fire uh, uh, 
how uh, shout a fire in a, in a crowded theater. You can't lie in commercial advertising. You can't make certain campaign finance uh, expenditures. Uh, you can't defame people, um, and on and on. So there, there are lots of laws that infringe on free speech, even though the First Amendment is unequivocal in denouncing laws that infringe on free speech. In the same sense, the Second Amendment, which says the right to bear arms shall not be infringed, but we have you know laws preventing uh, 11-year-olds from carrying machine guns in front of the White House when the president is delivering the speech. And we know that some weapons, some circumstances, and some um, individuals can be uh, can be regulated, notwithstanding the fact that the first, the Second Amendment says that uh, <clears throat> there should be no in, um, no infringement on the right to bear arms. So wh- what it means is that the Bill of Rights establishes a presumption in favor of liberty, and that presumption isn't an absolute uh, right but imposes upon government an enormous burden. And that is to say, government has to justify its regulations, its compromises of any of these rights, and it has to show, um, first, that there's a compelling need for the regulation, second, that the regulation is going to be effective and satisfy that need, and third, that there's uh, no better way to do it, Uh, there's no less intrusive way of doing it, so that's really the framework for how we have to evaluate uh, some of these incursions that are taking place in response to this virus. And I'm uh, in agreement with you entirely that a number of the governors uh, have taken steps that are draconian and that, in fact, go too far. Uh, but you can see the murky uh, guidelines uh, that we have to uh, assess and deciding whether or not these actions have gone too far. Even the taking of property. The taking of property is justified under the takings clause uh, if the taking is for public use. And certainly if the taking is of property that is being used in an injurious fashion. So one could argue that uh, the shutdown here is a taking of property, but on the other hand, it is for public use because it's been shown that uh, that uh, large crowds increase the likelihood that this virus is going to be uh, spread, and therefore the taking is is, is justified. Um, I don't know the answer to this in every set of circumstances, but I think it's fact-dependent. We have to look at each uh, circumstance and assess whether or not the regulation that's been put in place goes too far. And my own view is that the regulations have gone uh, too far, that we've been... Uh, in this balance between the health effects on the one hand and the economic effects on the other, we've allowed the health community to dictate um, that uh, we will basically shut down the economy in order to save lives. And the uh, the, the shibboleth, you know, the rallying cry that uh, we can't sacrifice a single life, uh, um, and if necessary, we will shut down everything. That's simply nonsense. We sacrifice lives all the time. After all, we we lose, I don't know how many tens of thousands of lives on the highways uh, because we've determined that the ability to drive automobiles is is necessary to economic survival. Well, in the same sense, the ability to open up businesses is necessary to economic survival as well, not just for the owners of the businesses, uh, but for the employees as well, and indeed for the customers. Uh, so these absolutes that say uh, we're going to shut down 
uh, all businesses, I think, are absolutely absurd. And one big mistake we've made in this case is that we've focused on this illusory difference between businesses that are deemed to be essential and businesses that are deemed to be uh, non-essential. Uh, I say it's illusory because um, we have such an intricate economy. We have so many supply lines that are interrelated and interdependent that it's impossible for government officials, this is what Hayek called the fatal conceit, for government officials to be able to assess all of these interrelationships and determine what, in fact, is essential given that there are so many interdependencies. So the, the criterion should have been not what's essential versus what's non-essential, but rather what is safe to operate versus what is not safe uh, to operate. So we understand if you have a pandemic and there is some indication that people are going to die, that you can't have uh, 100,000 people in a football stadium uh, without any distancing between them. On the other hand, uh, you certainly can have schools opened uh, where the incidence among young uh, children have come down with this disease uh, is, is close to zero, even below the rate of uh, flu. And you can observe proper uh, social distancing rules to minimize the risk. So we've made a mistake by uh, implementing one of these, you know, this one-size-fits-all remedy for this uh, pandemic. We need a lot more nuanced response. And some of the government governors have been, uh, I, I'm pleased to say that our government down here in Florida, I spend half my time, as you know, down here in Florida and half my time in North Carolina. Uh, Florida has, I believe, done a much better job of this than, uh, than the North Carolina governor has done. Well, you raise, of course, the interesting and important point of what gives any government the right to say to a business, you are essential and you are non-essential, therefore you must shut down. That obviously uh, puts a huge penalty on some people who just spent their entire life savings to put into a business. And because some governor says you're not essential, you must shut down, uh, they lose everything. Uh, so without just compensation really doesn't apply because no one whose business is shut down is going to get justly compensated. We see what's happening in our small community here. There are people who have retired here, put their entire life savings into a business, a cabin rental, let's say, or, or a restaurant or whatever, and because they are forced to close, they lose absolutely everything that they have worked for their entire lives. They are never going to be compensated for that, uh, no matter what happens. So this whole, as you said, it, it, it has gone too far, and that whole uh, question of what's essential, to me, well, of course, I stayed open. I did not close for one day, uh, and I have every right to do that as a physician. I had patients who needed care. I have employees who I support. I have some employees who have been working for me 20, 25, 30 years. They need money to, in order to live. I, I have an obligation to them. I have an obligation to my patients. But let's say other businesses, uh, they, they also are essential. They're essential to the owner. They're essential to their employees. And they're essential to the people who need their care or services. So what do you say? What do you do to people who will never, ever, ever be compensated for this, what I really do feel, is an unconstitutional taking of their property and their freedom. 
Well, <clears throat> I'm not uh, I'm not disagreeing with that proposition that there are some people uh, who are entitled to uh, to a remedy that they're not going to be receiving. So the problem here is that not every um, set of circumstances has a solution. <laughs> so when we have a pandemic, uh, we're going to have to um, put up with a number of inequities and a number of injustices. And the task of us as citizens, and in fact the task of our government, is to minimize the extent to which that uh, occurs. And I think government, in this case, has made uh, a number of big, big mistakes. Um, as a matter of fact, one could even argue that a, a major um, part of the blame here goes uh, to government, not just to the virus, which of course is the is the uh, threshold issue, but to the government's response uh, to the to the virus. Uh, we had uh, downplaying or disregarding some of the early warnings. We had FDA uh, delays uh, at allowing certain uh, treatments. We had tariffs on medical products coming into the country. We had inadequate testing, and of course the CDC's uh, fiasco with the initial tests that turned out to be uh, ineffective. We have all sorts of occupational licensing restrictions that prevented some people to perform tasks that were necessary during the emergency because they didn't have the adequate uh, licenses. We have these certificate of need requirements, and these things have the uh, insidious uh, underlying objective of simply shutting down competition. The certificate need is a, an illusory requirement that uh, is designed to protect incumbents against the, the possibility of of competition, all of those are government-implemented problems. Uh, so I think a great deal of the blame for some of the injustices that you mentioned uh, belongs, uh, should be laid at the doorstep of, uh, of uh, government. Now, I do think there are lots of other things that could have been done um, that weren't done properly. One is that with respect to individual relief, it should be targeted at the individuals who are affected um, and most vulnerable to uh, economic dislocation. So we should rely on uh, existing mechanisms such as unemployment and not um, promote new programs that have uh, uh, the high likelihood of staying around a lot longer than the pandemic is going to stay around. But even with the use of existing programs like unemployment, we have to avoid uh, disincentives so that when the government, uh, when the economy begins to recover, uh, people do uh, have an incentive to get back to work. And uh, the Wall Street Journal had an excellent editorial this morning on uh, the various disincentives. The unemployment compensation has been set at such a high level that some people are making 1200 bucks a week just to stay home. That's a heck of a lot of money to do nothing. Um, we have to, <clears throat> we have to get people back to work when we do open up these businesses. And if they're receiving more from government largesse than they're going to receive in their uh, in their employment, then they have a perverse uh, incentives to stay seated at home, and that's not going to do a thing to uh, to buttress the economy. I think in the term in, in relief to businesses, uh, that it should have been all in the form of loans. Uh, the purpose is to restore liquidity, not to make businesses 
uh, successful and solvent. It's to restore temporary illiquidity caused by the pandemic. So we should have had loans, no equity stakes, no shareholder uh, bailouts, and the uh, the uh, government should not be in the business of picking uh, winners and losers. The assistance should be broadly available and not tilted, certainly, toward these industries that have powerful, uh, powerful lobbies. And the focus should be not simply on handouts, but on eliminating regulatory ba- barriers to uh, allow flexible private sector responses to this problem. That's particularly true when it comes to health care. There are all sorts of regulatory impediments that cause delays in uh, protecting uh, public health, and that resulted in furthering the spread of the of the disease and increasing the, the amount of economic uh, damage. The, the private sector needs flexibility to respond, as it usually does, in entrepreneurial ways. And when government uh, regulates uh, the private sector, that response is... Uh, is, uh, is is uh, slowed down, if not uh, terminated altogether. Well, um, there, there's no question, of course, that government regulation is a major source uh, of problem in all sectors of the economy, not just during this current time. It's been getting worse and worse for decades. Uh, you mentioned certificate of need. Uh, that's, uh, that's an absolutely uh, terrible impediment to the expansion of of medical care. We had an instance in our county where uh, a gentleman wanted to, uh, got a certificate of need to put up an adult care, uh, adult living facility. Uh, And for eight years, he dragged his feet, not not getting the job done, not getting the financing. I don't think he ever had the financing, but he had the certificate of need, which prevented anyone else from coming in and building a facility, and there are many people who probably could have done it. And we finally applied to the state and said, it's enough. Take that certificate of need away. Give it to someone else. But it applies to all aspects. For instance, to myself, if I wanted to open a surgery center to perform eye surgery in in North Carolina, I could not do that. I could not go get my financing, take my chances like the free market allows or should allow, open a facility if I failed, if it did not make money and I went bust, that would be on me. But I can't because the government insists that I must demonstrate a need and get permission from the state government to do what should be a simple free market decision. So you're right. Regulations, uh, uh, regulations are a huge problem. But let's look at some of these the abuses, for instance, Planned Parenthood got $80 million from the government. Uh, other big corporations, uh, Harvard, eight, whether they get 3 or $4 million. How, when you have programs that without protections against this kind of thing, uh, you're going to get tons of abuse, and that's what happened in that first round of uh, paycheck protection. How do you prevent things like that? Well, Harvard, Harvard did, under pressure, finally <laughs> turn the money back to the uh, government. Uh, my guess is they would not have done so were it not for uh, the pressure. Uh, by the way, the, the president of the Cato Institute, Peter Gettler, and I uh, jointly uh, we co-authored an op-ed that appeared uh, in right, right as soon as these, this government largesse began to be dispensed. We wrote 
wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal stating why it was that the Cato Institute would not apply, even though our donations, of course, are very much affected uh, by this pandemic. Nonetheless, we would not apply for government relief uh, because, <clears throat> first of all, because uh, we <laughs> we present ourselves as uh, uh, proponents of uh, of free markets and, and uh, private enterprise, and so the application for government relief would be somewhat hypocritical. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Right this morning. <laughs>